This is Beyond the Pass, conversations with people from all walks of hospitality life. Centering mental health, Beyond the Pass is a conversation about life, hospitality, and what makes us get out of bed each day. Beyond the Pass is brought to you by Kelly's Cause, and the conversational digressions are brought to you by me, your host, Rachel Kerlapsley. If you can take a minute to like, rate, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, that would be very much appreciated. Without listeners like yourselves, we could keep having these brilliant conversations. Enjoy the episode and keep taking care of each other. Welcome back to Beyond the Pass. Today we're sitting down with the hospitality legend, Craig Prentice. Craig wears many hats. He's the founder of hospitality talent partner, Mum, a patron of Hospitality Action, and the creator of The Walk for Wellbeing. A truly people-focused leader in the industry, Craig is committed to centering the well-being of the humans who comprise hospitality in everything he does. We are so excited to have him in conversation with us. Welcome, Craig. Hey, Rachel. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm grand. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, I really want to just start with your background, because I know you came from a theater background, which is like a comically frequent occurrence in this industry. But what did your transition look like out of that sort of first iteration of your career into hospitality? I guess my hospitality career started in the West End when I was given an opportunity as a personal assistant for a team of managers in the West End theatre. And that is where... I guess I fell in love with the pace and the the I guess the vibe of hospitality and the whole experience theaters um big audiences and and shows as well great shows so I was given that opportunity I was there for just over a year I think and then was given a trainee manager role um in a another west end theater group of theaters where I became a trainee and I became a deputy theatre manager in a very short space of time before progressing on to an actual theatre general manager. And I was one of the youngest theatre managers in the West End. Um, I was very young to be running like a venue at the time. I was just turned 20, maybe. Holy shit. Yeah, it was... It was um, yeah, I was really young and I was really conscious of that at the time, I remember I had long hair at the time, so it shows you how long, you know, we're talking. And, uh, yeah, I had this big responsibility of running a West End theatre. It was 650 seats. We did shows, we did TV, we did live music, and it was amazing. And uh, I was there for a number of years and, um, and loved it. You know, different shows, different people. And I guess having that progression... So earlier on in my career meant that I progressed to where as far as I could in theatres before I moved on to live music venues and then visitor attractions. So my experience kind of got larger in terms of scale. So I went from Mm. running a a West End theatre of 650 to a live music venue of 3,000 and then being part of a team that looked after the operation at the London Eye. Um, where I was specifically looking after hospitality operations and general operations of the site on on, on a day-to-day basis as part of a team. And that was amazing. I mean, my time with um, what now is known as Merlin Entertainments was incredible from a culture piece, you know, place um, and, and a team spirit perspective as well. 
Mm. I mean, on a day-to-day basis, we would welcome up to 30-odd thousand, maybe a bit more, guests in any one day. We thrived on it. I think it's it's so interesting because, like, so many people I know, the goal is almost scaling down where it's like, and I think about that, like, if I went back and was working in service, I'm like, I would want to work at, like, maybe a 50 50 head like I want to keep it small something manageable very neighborhoody and it feels like through the course of you progressing in the industry that bigger and bigger and 30,000 people a day is like feels boggling and I wonder about what about that was so attractive to you like what in that sort of that massive massive spectacle sort of insane environment like what drove you there what do you think the the get was I think it was an opportunity to be a part of something much bigger. I think scaling mm. up was definitely, you know, each time I progressed in each of those areas of hospitality, I thought to myself, you know, where do I go next? You know, and I think when you're younger, you always think that scale is important or you can fall mm. into that trap. So I think it was partly to do with the, the size of the operation and also um, the opportunity to join their hospitality team um so it was a dual role it was hospitality and then operations uh for the entire site like i said but it was an opportunity to evolve something that was quite early in its um mm. stages so hospitality was very new there and and also i quite i this is going to sound a bit sadistic but i love the fact that i was part of a team that looked after the day-to-day duty management and anything could go wrong I liked the unknown. So I like putting out fires. Yeah. I liked the, you know, management or, you know, leading various teams. You know, we had a ticketing team, we had a retail team, we had a hospitality team, we had a ride team. So to, to be able to oversee all of those different departments to ensure a great operation and a great experience for people was, was a huge buzz. I mean, you'd almost be like the emperor of a fiefdom or like the king, like, (laughs) because there's all of this, these masses of people and all these different balls in the air. And you're standing there being like, I'm the man who can solve this problem. I can put this puzzle together. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. It it was like a puzzle and particularly in summer months, you know, and and summer holidays or school holidays in general, you know, the site had to flex up in terms of what we looked after, both from a numbers perspective and service perspective as well. And in that role, anything and everything did go wrong. You know, we dealt Mm -hmm. with all kinds of situations um, day in, day out. And we learned a lot from each other. And I think, you know, I I can only speak for back then, but Merlin was definitely a... I'm going to use the phrase family feel business because it was, you know, there was a genuine sense of um, camaraderie, team spirit, and just everyone having each other's backs. And I really, that was probably one of my most enjoyable roles to date, apart from now, of course. I think, (laughs) of course, I think it's interesting because those environments that often are really unique, which this experience absolutely would have been, often facilitate really strong interpersonal relationships because they're the only people that understand like the madness of what you're doing. And there's something about feeling that connected to other people that's completely intoxicating. Yeah. And that was, you know, 
we had people from all over the world working at London Eye. It was mm-hmm. culturally rich, so I think that enhanced what we were doing, what we were doing on a day to day basis. Um, yeah, it was it was a brilliant opportunity that. And at a certain point, did you sort of experience a crisis fatigue, or was it about like what was about what was the moving on about? I was at the London Eye for seven years. Three of those years, I was also doing a second job in uh, up in Camden. There's a great venue called the Roundhouse. A great venue. Camden, which um, has always been one of my favourite venues in London. Uh, I remember going to the opening or the reopening of it many years before. Um, and I was approached about a duty management role there. Um whilst I was working at the London Eye and it was very casual it was very flexible um and I was gonna say stupidly but I don't think it was stupid at all it was great I (laughs) because I love the venue and because of what they produced there in terms of shows and what kind of events they hosted I added a second job to my to my resume and uh I mean something can be stupid and also amazing all at the same time you know two things can be true at once it felt like a hobby at the time. It felt like an actual hobby and, you know, it didn't feel like an extra job. But in practicality, I was finishing at the London Eye at five o'clock, jumping on the Northern Line up to Chalk Farm um, and walking into a venue to receive the show brief, brief a team of volunteers and run the show. Or mm. well, not run the show, but run the operation front of house and look after that team and and... Like I say, I guess it was like 3,000 guests again um, coming in to see a great show and great shows that I had handpicked for myself. That was I guess, the beauty of that role. It was, yeah, I worked Must have been amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, BBC Electric Proms with Elton John. Um, yeah, like numerous acts to mention, but just iconic shows, I guess because I loved music and always have loved music, that's why it felt like such a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And such a love. And I and I did that for three years. And I, I wasn't there every evening. Like I said, I could, you know, it was, it was peaks and troughs, but I, I could survive on four or five hours sleep back then. <laughs> yeah. It's also when the payoff feels so rich, like when your day job, it's with all these people that you love and you're holding up and you have these fantastic relationships and your night job brings you this access to this culture that you admire and that like you see in a certain way, it's very, very easy to ignore the things about it that are probably pretty bad for you just in terms of like lack of sleep, like less time for your like personal, like all of that stuff that comes along with a sort of light workaholism. Easy to ignore when the rewards feel so enormous. And I definitely did ignore stuff. I mean, lack of sleep was 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 definitely um, was definitely there. Um, bad diet. We used to receive mm. donations from Pret um, for the volunteers and the and the front of house team. You know, Pret do a great thing, or they certainly did back then, of donating their um, stock at the end of the day to a local charity. And the Roundhouse mm. is a charity. So we used to receive a black bag full of sandwiches and baguettes and wraps from prep that had all been jumbled up. I, it was one of my jobs actually to sort out for the volunteers, but I couldn't eat prep for a long time after leaving the roundhouse. I mean, it was like I'm sure, <laughs> but um, so diet definitely came. You know, sort of was 
lacking you know fish and chip shop mm. across the road you know uh late late night sleep red bull you know again huge part of my uh my diet back then so yeah definitely and because you're right Rachel because I loved it so much and because I was young and a little bit innocent and also just not aware of well-being you know let's face it well-being has only really come into you know the uh into a focus really over the last few years mental health definitely wasn't a phrase that I I even thought about mm-hmm. but at the time you know upon reflection you know age being being wise and a bit older now definitely was a phase where I could have looked after myself a little bit better I guess what was your mental health like in that period of time like were you somebody that felt pretty sound in that sense or was it something you weren't reflecting on yeah no absolutely I was you know I was loving life I loved both of my my roles so I loved my role at the London Eye uh, worked with great people I think that's really important. And at the Roundhouse, you know, it was a huge, despite it, you know, adding on to my normal day, it was just a huge pleasure to 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 be in that environment, um, working with people that I loved working with and um yeah, watching shows. Even thinking about it now, escorting Elton John into the building, meeting Dame Shirley Bassey, you know, and having a conversation that just seems so surreal, um, but brings a smile to my face now. So it must have been good, right? There's also, like, if you're somebody, I think, who's drawn to, like, theatre, like, any of that side of anything, there's something to be said for, like, feeling like you're a part of it all. Yeah. That is, like, absolute. You can get drunk on that feeling for the rest of your life. Like, Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely, yeah, one of the most um, enjoyable periods of, of my life, for sure. And as you sort of like moved away from that job and you went into something new, I know you've spoken pretty openly about your mental health on other platforms, but I'm wondering if you might speak a little bit to your own experience and how that sort of feeling of like really sort of thriving in work and thriving in life and feeling quite satisfied and rewarded and quite stable and like, where did the Dow sort of shift for you and what has that experience been? So I guess both of those roles came to an end when I moved into recruitment and I was headhunted to move into recruitment in 2012. So it was just before the, the, the Olympics. And I'd never considered recruitment before. I had bad experiences from a personal perspective, you know, point of view with recruiters. Um, there was like this harsh salesman kind of analogy. With, yeah, with, it's with, famously with, a little uneven the recruiting, uh, recruitment experience. Yeah, and even the word, you know, just yeah, just didn't really entice me. But I was pursued. <laughs> I was pursued, and um, I was very much presented recruitment on a relationship and experience basis, um, or sold on a, an experience mm. and relationship basis. And I guess because I'd got that background in experience and relationships and I'd always been really passionate about it I also felt that I kind of reached the ceiling where I was in terms of operational responsibility and um, seniority if that's the right word so I thought recruitment was a good opportunity to to transfer those skills and to to get into um, something a bit different recruitment's tough you know um Recruitment is full on, equally full on, but equally rewarding. And I remember I joined a, a company to look after temp 
temps and casual teams in hospitality, hotels and court, um, and events. I think, yeah, I mean, I had no recruitment experience. Apparently, if you ask most people, temp recruitment and staffing is a good place for anybody stepping into recruitment. If you can do temp, apparently you can do permanent recruitment. A baptism by fire, for sure. Yeah, and the hours, again, I went from probably doing equal hours in recruitment to my two previous jobs combined. We were on call as as recruitment consultants. We were on call for clients and, and team members to fill jobs and bookings. It was really demanding. Well, and also the same amount of hours as your previous gigs, except now you don't get to like hang out with Elton John or like say hi to Shirley Bassey. So it's sort <laughs> <Yeah>. of like... <laughs> Yeah, it was a bit like that. And I really struggled. And actually, the company that I was working for was probably was very corporate. You know, I was in a suit and tie, not Mm. me at all. Um, Mm. And I found myself working in what, you know, was a really testing environment from a sales perspective. Recruitment can be, um, you know, it's very competitive and, you know, there's a lot of kind of vying with each other, you know, with each other. And yeah, I didn't kind of, didn't particularly enjoy it, um, but I stuck at it for a year and a a bit. And coming back to your question about mental health, I think working in that environment, being away from what I loved, doing the hours that I was doing, not looking after myself, was probably in hindsight a time where I can pinpoint my mental health, sorry, wasn't where it it could have been. And for the first time, actually, looking back, presented itself in physical, with physical symptoms as well, you know, like backache, headaches. Mm -hmm. And I just came to the realization that, you know, working, um, working in there wasn't, wasn't right for me. And so I sought out um, a role in permanent recruitment, and I guess that's where things changed. Um, I joined, you know, a relatively small business at the time, and was given a great opportunity to create my own desk. That's very recruitment, isn't it? Around hospitality, and um, and I covered off all sectors of the industry in 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 that company. I looked after food service initially. I looked after events. I went on to create a venue events and hotels division and, um, you know, had a couple of people around me who I was responsible for coaching and, you know, showing, showing the ropes and yeah, it just, it just kind of grew from there. How has your personal experience with mental health impacted the way that you approach hospitality, people's roles, the way you think about the industry what impacted your personal experience sort of did it shift anything for you like yeah so my personal experiences have definitely brought me to where I am today both in terms of how I look at hospitality and recruitment but also how I believe people need to be treated and deserve to Mm. be treated and looked after and it sounds quite simple but I think there can be a lot of love lacking in hospitality and recruitment and I think there's a lot of improvement to be made. And I come at it from an angle or a, a desire to just do a good job, look after people and try and improve that one relationship at a time. And and that's, mm. you know, that's about making time for people, 
being honest with people with their, you know, in terms of advice and, and helping them, giving them a good experience. And I talk that I talk at that from a, a candidate and a client perspective because I regard both as equal. And if you're focused on providing a positive experience, and I've dropped the ball on times, you know, I've I've missed things like everybody else. I'm not perfect, but I think if you come at anything with a positive positive intent and actions, I think you're halfway there, right? Mm, absolutely. Do you think that there are things within the industry that you've seen where you're like, this aspect of hospitality really helps mental health or here are the positive things around it. And here are aspects of this industry that absolutely hinder mental health that we need to sort of counteract. So I think in terms of helping, I think there's a lot of people doing great things out there. I think we're great as an industry, whether it be companies or individuals or organizations charities like yourself um you know doing great things great you know wanting to make change wanting to be instrumental in shaping the future of our industry so i think there's there's a lot of that going on i do think that we're great at talking in hospitality and not necessarily doing the walking to use an analogy but Mm. And I do think that's a massive danger to our industry and the future of it and, you know, people coming into it. So with that, I think we could work a lot better together. I think a lot of people are working in silos. So I'd love to see more cohesiveness in the industry and a lot more collaboration to benefit, you know, the people in it. I think that would be an amazing improvement to make. And then for me on the flip side, and I'm going to be very general here, But I think the pretending to be something or do good. There's a lot of lip service to well-being. There's a lot of lip service, yeah. There's a lot of lip service and there's a lot of um, labeling. You know, I'd love to get away from labeling so that we are just focused on doing a great job, looking after people. What's this phrase? You can do, you can do, you can do something, you can do nothing, or you can pretend to be doing something. And that for me is, and I'm going to be honest, I look at, you know, I see, I speak to hundreds of people each month. You know, we listen as recruiters, we listen, we should do. And we hear a lot of things and a lot of things you have to take with a pinch of salt. But, you know, we are listening all day, every day to the people that we speak with. And there are definitely themes that come through. There are definitely companies that come through who are just not looking after their people. And when I say not looking after, I mean, you know, not necessarily just ignoring, you know, they're not ignoring the looking after, but blatantly doing things within their companies that have an impact on their people. You know, I hear a lot of really horrible situations from people who are in distress, who are in situations that could just be avoided if mm. they were being looked after and it's that simple and it, yeah. it it really riles me to think that people think that's okay yeah I mean we're in a similar position I talk to people all the time that are actually working on the floor and I think something that has come up so much I hear this a lot from pretty big players where we're like we need to get people, we need to bring people into this industry who maybe didn't consider it before. Let's bring them in. Let's bring them in. Young people, da 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 da, da. And I want to shake them because I'm like, you can recruit 10,000 people and tell them this industry is amazing and they're going to have this amazing time and you get to da 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 
that's true. That's part of the picture. But the other part of the picture is that when all of those people show up and they're in companies or on sites that treat them like dog shit, I think it's so irresponsible to go to a college to a group of 17, 18 year olds and be like, come on, come work for me. That's all well and good to sell people on the dream of what it can be. But how are you actually treating them when they arrive? I think it's also really important that there are companies and individuals and operators that do a fantastic job with their teams. And when people come and they ask me like, "Uh, I need a new job or where should I go? I'm like, go there, like go there, like put your energy behind people that are doing this right. But I would say that is the exception, not the rule. Yeah. Particularly when we start to like broaden our view to places that we're not always considering, like big chains, like places outside of London. Like we are so London centric and we look at the same kinds of restaurants and the same kind of hospitality environments, but hospitality comprises so much and the breadth is so wide. And so I often think about who are we leaving behind in those conversations? And like, it's fantastic if you work for an employer that can pay for a good EAP and has actually told you how to access it and what it is, that's fantastic. But the majority of people that we survey say that they don't even know what an EAP is. So then what's the point? So it's like there's this disconnect between these things that we're saying are amazing and then what is the lived experience of people in those places? And the cognitive dissonance is amazing. Yeah. And I think it goes back to, you know, what you said about promoting the industry as a positive place to be and or a great industry to be and yeah this company that company whatever but as i said earlier you know it's not just companies who have this responsibility to to its charities its hospitality organizations you know um and bodies um who are we're, we're collectively responsible right so if we can work together you know to to do that even even better and what you you said there you said a couple of things there that I just really resonated and probably connect to your question about my mental health journey and how I you know how I've traveled that but I look at the three different things that impact my mental health same as physical health I look at it as life events that are uncontrollable. So whatever they might be in day in, day out, you know, um, crisis, etc. My personal decisions and actions and the actions of others and how others potentially could treat me. And that connects with what you were saying about employers and that whole leadership piece of how you treat someone or your peers. You know, it works the other way around. All your managers, all your directors those of you but it's so important to 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 kind of to do that and to have to be mindful of the impact you're having on someone on in your day-to-day i think that's a really fantastic point and i think so much of the most effective advocacy that i see is that sense of like we are all responsible so i always and this is advice that i give people when they talk to us but i always say like what you're responsible for is who your employer is you can quit whenever you want and you can move somewhere else with quite a bit of ease. Like people are really desperate for people right now. And that gives you the freedom of flexibility. And of course it's hard. If you want to work somewhere near your house, certain pay rates, the team that you've built relationships with, I'm not saying it's easy, but you're responsible for where you put your energy and where you put your expertise and your skill that you're responsible for that piece. So be smart about who you work with, spot red flags, take them seriously. And and then obviously the employers, there's a big piece there. 
And then you go, because they're the ones that are setting policy, that are doing stuff around rotas, that the things that are in their control to facilitate better mental health, let's do them. And then I think you zoom out and this is where, I mean, a lot of your advocacy work comes in, certainly the work that we do, but how do we, as like the broader hospitality community, folks that work in advocacy, the folks that provide support, how good a job are we doing? Who are we accessing? Who are we missing? How accessible are our services, either with money or with time? Like all of that stuff. And then I think the other piece of that puzzle for me is like food media. So like, who are we celebrating? Who are we taking out on Sunday brunch and being like this fantastic chef and everyone in the industry is like, they're a fucking wife beater. Like, what are we doing? And there's often a disconnect between like restaurants that I know do a phenomenal job in terms of well-being and restaurants that I know do not and yet are being celebrated and trotted out as these like incredible successes within the industry. And that there's often like this sort of I don't know how to describe it, but there, all of those things, to your point, are like speaking and working together all the time. Everyone has to do their part to get real cultural shift. Yeah, and we all have a part to play in that. I'm going to make a big statement now, but Go if you're on. a true hospitality person, mm-hmm. surely you want to look after people. Mm-hmm. Surely you want to look after your team as much as your guests. Mm. And if you don't, maybe hospitality isn't for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah, I you know, like I said, hearing the stories that I do in a day on a day to day basis, you know, I've had to pull away from working with companies because of the way they just have treated certain people in their business, and I'm fortunate to be in a position to do that. Whereas, you know, a small, independent, nimble business who, I guess. You know, we invest the time that's needed with 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 the projects that we work on, and that is so important to me. You know, working with the right people, knowing the right people, and yeah, helping them find the people that they need. What advice would you give folks to keep themselves like mentally safe as they're navigating their careers in the industry? I would definitely say surrounding yourself with people who understand you, lift you up are supportive of you and some people are going to be there to you know I've I've got to a point in my life and my career where I've got a really good circle around me and that's taken many years to hone Mm -hmm. and people have fallen along the way you know it's life isn't it you know Mm -hmm. um, with friendships and relationships and, and certainly in work as well but I'm now really fortunate to have great people around me good people that support advise bring positivity Mm. you know on a day-to-day basis or whenever I catch up with them and enhance what I do believe in what I do and I think that's really important and similarly I guess you know that goes for companies and you know industry connections it's been great to get to know uh, you and the team at Kelly's Cause you know Mm. in recent months and people that just share your you know that that belief that there is work to do and some good can be done, right? Um, So that's number one, surrounding yourself. I think being aware of what works for you, you know, physically, what what makes you feel happy, gets you out in bed in the morning. For me, you know, it's my dogs, my walks. I think that, you know, really helps me. Other thing is like, what is in my control and what can I do every day? 
what can I touch every day? I can get up and I can go and I can like literally, if needs be, if time is tight, I can stick my head out the window and like spend three minutes breathing. And it's like, how do we sort of have practices that can be adaptable if we're doing back-to-backs and we're absolutely like so split for time and all of that, but that we can hold on so that we don't give over our entire well-being, that 100% of ourselves to our jobs, which it doesn't matter what your job is. It's so unhealthy. Like, yeah. And I've definitely done that. I mean, reserve is really, really key. Resilience is another one. Saving yourself. Again, in hospitality and, and recruitment, you tend to give an awful lot. So being able to switch off and enjoy yourself and spend time with your family and your friends, do what you enjoy away from work um, is critical and certainly hasn't happened, you know, in in parts of my life. But that's really key. Resilience, knowing what builds up your resilience. For me, it's about controlling, again, linking into what you said, but controlling what you can and mm. be more importantly, being aware of what makes you feel crap and what makes you feel lead your thought process into a negative headspace. Um, and we think as humans all of the time. And I think if you can tap into that, and be aware or improve your awareness of what makes you feel crap, you can then control what leads you to that. And for me, a huge part of what I've done um, in recent years, particularly in new, in starting my business and creating mum four years ago, I've turned off from what makes me feel crap. And I've unsubscribed quite literally to mm-hmm. all of those mailing lists unfollowed accounts on social media blocked mm. some in some cases because of the crap that I'm seeing and the and how it then makes me feel and that's done amazing that's the amazing wonders you know for me personally so you were obviously like kicking ass doing ops doing recruitment you started this business how did you end up being a mental health advocate like Walk for Wellbeing, which is one of the most visible initiatives around mental health in the industry, that's your baby. How did you come from a place of being, this is the business, this is the job, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to take time out of my extremely busy day, and I'm going to fight really, really, really hard to make this something that we talk about. So again, it comes down to personal experience. So mm-hmm. when I I created my business based on the beliefs that I said earlier about looking after people. When I created mum, I also had huge intentions to try and implement some sort of change within the industry by bringing people in my network together. And I was really keen to do something from a looking after perspective and making improvements in our industry and getting people to talk. And I actually put together a, a bit of a, a plan back in 2019 was it to get people talking and get people in and I it was an idea that I had to shelve um I don't know if you recall the sad passing of Caroline Flack in Mm. February 2020 we were due to go out with this idea which I won't the name was crap. The name was absolutely <laughs> <laughs> It was just like, it was a working title, but it was crap. It was just like, uh, looking back. So luckily we didn't go out with it. But we shelved those plans because of what was happening with Caroline Flack or what happened mm. to Caroline Flack. 
and that whole scenario. And I, I don't know if you recall at the time, but there, there was a lot of um, coverage about it. There was a lot of talk about it. There was a lot of people jumping on the bandwagon with it. And um, I can't remember, but there was a certain hashtag that was being bounded around. And I saw people in hospitality hijacking that moment and hijacking what was a very public but personal moment for that mm. for Caroline Black's family and friends with a hashtag. And I just saw it, it actually really upset me to think that people were jumping on the bandwagon to make to benefit in some shape or yeah. form from for the optics situation. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it just put a really bad taste in my mouth and we shelved the idea. Um, and I guess that was the February before COVID hit. COVID hit a month or two later. COVID meant I personally felt very redundant in what I was doing and felt very redundant in, I, you know, I just created this, this company. The company was excelling. We were doing some great work with clients, working with the right types of people. And COVID came along. COVID had other ideas. And so I felt, yeah, I felt very hopeless and helpless. And I guess out of that came, well, two initiatives. There was the there was the Now Pause initiative, which was a relaxation initiative. I joined forces with a couple of friends to create a relaxation toolkit for people in the industry to help them um, without you know, jumping knee deep into or headfirst into meditation, which can be a bit woo-woo for some people, can't it? And it was super basic, but, you know, it helped lots of different people. And then the walk came along and the walk, I've always been incredibly supportive of Hospitality Action and joined them as an ambassador four or so years ago, I believe. And then, and also sat on their fundraising board. And the idea of a walk came to me after a fundraising call one day, thinking that there was still something we could do around community and bringing people together at a time, which let's face it, was pretty stressful and isolating for a lot of people. And so I had the idea of this walk and I picked up the phone to my friend, Sean Wheeler, who most people will probably know, a true legend in the industry. And uh, I shared an idea with him and he, you know, grasped that idea and helped bring that idea to life with the help of many. And we have just finished our fourth year um, of Walk for Wellbeing and collectively raised over £220,000. It's amazing. Just saying it feels absolutely incredible given where the project came from and how it was just an idea. And I I get super emotional about the project because it's a purposeful project and Mm. it's so much more than a walk. It was, was and is or was and remains about bringing people together and getting people Mm. to talk and share their ideas, people that would never meet each other promoting better mental health within the industry and raising money for a charity whose work is probably more important than ever before. It's amazing what you've achieved with it. And it's incredible, I think, the more visible that these things are, the more that it sort of enters everyone's subconscious and it starts to break down that idea that like, oh, we can't talk about this or, oh, we can't do anything about this. And because we can't, don't know how to talk about it, we don't know what to do, we're going to do nothing. And I think that's been such a huge 
shift that I've definitely seen in the past few years is that just because we're not sure what exactly might work or what to do, the option to do nothing is not there anymore. And I think that that's a really positive shift that the work that you do and the advocacy you do has certainly, certainly contributed to in this industry. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, like I say, with the walk, you know, Sean, the charity, our organizing team and and the event partners and sponsors that we've had over the last four years, you know, um, have all played their part in growing this um, to take it to what just under a thousand people walking um, this year, um, uh, raising a hundred thousand pounds this year, which will help a lot of people. And going back to what I said earlier, you know, we all have our part to play in our day jobs, mm. but also giving back in our industry. And I think the industry would be a much better place if we all tuned in to what we're able to give back and all tuned in and all were all aware or just reflected on the time we have or the time resources and money to give back and to contribute to a better hospitality. And I think that's key. And I, and I think that's, that's so true with the event that we ask people to get involved, the right people get involved, people give what they can. And just talking about it, it just fills me with such enthusiasm to, to, to the possibilities of what can be done. Before I let you go into the rest of your day, I just want to ask you some quick fire questions. So first thing that comes to mind, mm -hmm. what is your favorite place to travel food wise? Southeast Asia. So Thailand or probably Sri Lanka or close second. Who is your favorite like pop rock icon? Prince. Probably again, followed by Luther Mandros, Anita Baker. You got good taste. <laughs> um, what is the best meal you've had in the past month? Ooh, brat. Probably a couple of months ago, but yeah, always a winner. What's your favorite building in London? Tate Modern or Battersea Power Station. You're a brutalist kind of guy. I get that. <laughs> And okay, the last one, you can take a little bit more time to answer. So we always like to ask, like, who is your hospitality hero? So your hospitality hero can be someone you've worked with or somebody you've never worked with and you just sort of admire from a distance. It could be like a chef or someone from your team. Like, it knows no bounds, but just somebody who you look at and you're like, fuck yeah. Uh, would have to be Sean, who I've already mentioned. So Sean Wheeler. So from an industry perspective, but also from a personal perspective. So Industry-wise, he's done so much and achieved so much in his career, worked across multiple sectors of the industry, um, always been accessible, you know, always hear great things about Sean um, from from people out there. And um, he's just got a real passion for people and culture that's, that's super genuine. And I think the fact that he has been so accessible to so many different people, supporting so many people, um, makes him a you know, real hospitality hero. For sure. That's amazing. Um, Craig, that's all we've got. But thank you so, so much for joining us. You're such a pleasure. And your support is honestly makes such a massive difference to all of us. No problem. Thanks for the opportunity. Beyond the Path is produced by Kelly's Cause. 
For more information about Kelly's Cause, please head to kellyscause.com or find us on Instagram at kellyscause.